and welcome to We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast here with your weekly dose of ketchup. Everybody needs a little bit of ketchup in their weekly diet, um, daily diet, really, if you're locked in, isolated, and you have nothing to do. You got to slurp it up, slurp it up. You know, we don't do those those triangle uh, pyramid, food pyramid things anymore. That's outdated. That's old news. It's all about that sweet, sweet ketchup. It's all is you that, need. Is that good uh, stand-up material to be like, hold on, I think there's reverb on mine. <laughs> hold on. I'm recording, I'm recording independently, and uh, Ernest cannot stop me from fucking <laughs> I will tune my uh, voice up like two octaves during this recording. It just any random point when somebody gives a take that I do not like, I will just pitch my vocals all the way up. So, so yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see, see what happens. This, we'll see this, this is good. I think that is good, like Seinfeldian material, though, to be like, uh, why do they call it a food pyramid? It's a triangle. <laughs> it's not three dimensional. Yeah. That's so true. It's like a, a pyramid implies that there's like a third dimension to you, yeah, what you I guess should be eating. I guess they're saying that like all the food is being held in these different like little sections of it. So it must have three dimensions in order to hold that food. Do you think that that is the sole reason why they got rid of the food pyramids and now kids just get taught about the plates? The Like this is the big plate that goes for this thing. This is the littler plate for this. Is, is that vegetables. true? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I learned about it even in, like, college and stuff, about how, like, it varied throughout the years. Because even, like, 20 years ago, they were just like, just eat yourself a bunch of meats, man. <laughs> eat yourself some meats, maybe a little bit of greens, but, like, that's it. And then, like, the food pyramid was just, like, eat all the bread. Eat all the bread yeah. and rice that you can possibly And for a little while, it was milk. Carbs. It was, like, you milk need, like, huge. so much fucking dairy. Dairy, no. dairy paid to get prime real estate in that yeah. pyramid. Yeah, <laughs> but dairy, dairy's higher. like the fucking mafia boss of the food pyramid, just coming in and staking out their territory. And everyone's like, "Oh shit, yo, we gotta, we gotta back the fuck up." And people said, "Give me the food plate cut," and eventually yeah. they got it. I guess you could say the dairy is like the release the Snyder cut of the food pyramid. Whoa, I, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think I think dairy is like the Joss Whedon of the food pyramid. It like just kind of came in there. It took everybody else's lunch, quite literally. Whoa, um, yeah. And then people have just been clamoring, like, what happened to the potatoes? <laughs> so Which, welcome to We Bought a Mike. Zack Snyder is. He is a. I'm I'm Drew. Um, I'm <laughs> Ernest. <laughs> I am. Uh, potato friendly hunter. Your name says that you're Dean Kumquat today <laughs> on on Zoom. You care yeah, to elaborate? I well, I think I got hacked, guys. I think my Zoom got hacked. We're getting Zoom bombed. There was some like really like sexy looking dude named Dean that just kind of came into my house. He had a little spinny hat and he just spun it around, changed my Zoom name, and then just flew off away into the distance. And he went, <laughs> yeah. No, he, he went. Made, he made Joker laugh. He went. Hashtag release the Snyder cut. <laughs> yeah, and it was epic. So I, when I, I, I kind of am excited about this because when I saw Justice League, what I was thinking was, uh, there needs to be probably thirty million or so more dollars put into this, and then it would be really good, <laughs> right? 
Right. We need to remove all the jokes that made it somewhat more bearable and make this as dour as possible. We need to take all the things that were just like, well, I guess this is marginally better than BVS and just take those away. And let's go even harder in that direction. It's it's a natural evolution. You're, You're watching it. You're thinking, okay... Uh, I want the director who's bad to do more and I want to give him a, like a lot of money to let him do it. You know, yeah. like movie making is kind of a simple business. People try to act like there's all these bells and whistles. No, you just let a guy who has been bad for 10 years straight cook, you yeah. know, that's called creative freedom. So you know? I, I mean, this is of course, I mean, the the neckbeards on Twitter finally got what they wanted. They got the Snyder Cut release, which we should point out is the second time in less than a year that the internet has bullied a studio into releasing or changing and altering the cut of You're the You're referring film. to Sonic the Hedgehog? To Sonic the Hedgehog, which came out and people hated it. Release um, the hashtag demonic hedgehog cut. I'm, how surprised would you be at this point if the butthole cut of Cat's were to be released because apparently that already exists they don't have to put more money into remaking a film it would have to be just like snyder cut is an hbo max exclusive the butthole cut is a Pornhub exclusive it's a it's a skinamax exclusive (laughs) that you have to just go on there it's a mr skin exclusive and i i think that they um, should give tom hooper like 50 million to make it so all the buttholes have worms (laughs) <laughs> so I wanted to ask, because I wasn't sure on what, because of course they said that they're going to give them 20 to 30 million to add on to what they're doing to the film. But from what also I saw is that there's going to be points in the movie where it just cuts to like a storyboard that oh, they drew Christ. out. So it's just going to be, we're still going to watch an unfinished movie. That's what I. That's what I gathered from. Some no, of the I, that's what the twenty. That's what the twenty million dollars is for. So that that's not a thing. So that those storyboards are realized in some way. You know, with with visual effects. I I want to back up a second though, because if you're listening to this show and you somehow don't know what this whole Snyder Cut debacle is, um, let me make your life a little bit worse by explaining it to you. Mm-hmm. So. In 2015, or sorry, 2017, when Justice League was released, it um, was heralded as not the movie that Zack Snyder intended to make. And all his diehard fans... also would have been bad. Right, right. Well, Without a doubt. It, 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 it was due to a family tragedy that occurred, but also just due to the fact that, like, Batman v Superman was bad and Warner Brothers like didn't they were they got scared that people overwhelmingly just did not like BVS and they were <laughs> like okay we need to hire Joss Whedon we need to get in there so like as the movie was being shot even with Zack Snyder still on the project things were tumultuous and they were trying to course correct the movie in the middle of making it so that's already a terrible sign so the movie comes out it's fine. It's very mediocre. And we could have just moved on with our lives. But over the course of the past three years, the internet has been a minefield of fucking insane people campaigning for this director's cut of Justice League that was not even real. Like they assumed that this was just a movie that was sitting in a vault somewhere that Warner Brothers was refusing 
to let the world get its eyes on. And that is not the fucking case. And for the longest time, more money to finish it. Exactly. And for the longest time, this was just a laughable mocking situation where we could just be like, God, these poor idiots Mm -hmm. spending money. They spent money on advertising at comic con making like physical ads and like signs uh, in the sky and shit saying release the Snyder cut. And it was like, come on, man. These are people who are, will forever be chasing the high they felt when they were 11 and they watched 300. Yeah. And it was just the coolest thing you could possibly imagine. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I said at the time that we saw Justice League that I think that Justice League is the most mediocre movie of all time. I think that it's not a terrible film. I also think it's very far from good. I think it is the perfect five. And I think that every movie can be judged on whether or not it's either better or worse than Justice League. And uh, guess what? Batman vs. Superman is worse than Justice League. I'm looking at Zack Snyder's film. Almost every movie he's made is either on par with Justice League or worse than Justice League. And I I don't know if you guys saw the poster. I'm just going to show it to you guys right now. It says in very large Zack Snyder's and then very small Justice League. (laughs) So it is all about Zack Snyder. Listeners, please look this up. It's it's really deranged. Uh, And ultimately, I think my biggest question, because this has been, you know, the, the, this has been exercised by HBO Max. Um, They are the ones that are going to pay for this and ultimately release it. My question is, are they grossly overestimating the amount of people who genuinely want to see the Snyder Cut? Because I think that it is a very, very vocal minority of people who actually truly care right. about it. And I think the majority of people, A, the vast majority of people have no idea what it is. Uh, and then outside of that, most of the people who do know what it is uh, don't care about it. Exactly. Or are willing to joke about it. I think that they may have been uh, duped but by the, by it, the web they could win either way because this they've created a situation for themselves where they this is ultimately just a way to hook people into hbo max right so whether or not the movie is actually good doesn't really matter well that's as what long i'm saying as, though is are they even going to hook people with this how many people will they hook to HBO Max, are one million people going to sign up for HBO Max to watch the Snyder Cut? I don't think it's even close to that many people that give a single fuck about this. Right. I think I think a million will because I think that there are even if people that don't care, there will be enough people like us, podcasters or prognosticators. One million podcasters. To, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, everyone these days, you got to have a podcast. Um, but I think there will be enough people that are either want to watch it, genuinely watch it, or want to watch it to make fun of it. Uh, which, by the way, coming, uh, when is it? May of 2021. You can, you better believe, you better believe that you will be getting Snyder Cut coverage on We Bought a Mic podcast. Oh, boy. 
I'm going Christ. to I'm going to torrent that film. <laughs> and in fact, I wanted HBO Max and now I don't. Yeah. <laughs> as a as a as a fucking principle. <laughs> how, yeah, how many people will abstain from HBO Max because of the Snyder Cut? Yeah. I think over seven million people. <laughs> Before we get away from that point, uh though, I I do want to make it clear. This is something that not a lot of people are talking enough about. I think it's pretty safe to say that a lot of the internet traffic that hashtag the Snyder Cut has gotten is like fake accounts. Like it has to be bots. Like I, I don't believe that it's that all of those accounts that are tweeting that shit are real people. I guarantee you it's a substantial number of bot accounts. So even more so to who, that point. Who is orchestrating this to you? Um, who is it? Probably hand? Vladimir Putin. Big podcast <laughs> to, to drum up content. It's Kevin Feige, like sitting in a lair somewhere going. <laughs> yeah. Show him the snake. Um, well, on our notes, I wrote the simulation is breaking. The Snyder cut is released and tenant is on Fortnite. So we're at that point here where the world is at max computing capacity and it's starting to shut down. Uh, the, the matrix is, is melting into itself. It's, it's the part of the movie that really takes you out of it. You know, when you're just like, okay, you know, you want me to believe that this is all real? No, come on. I'm not a baby. I know what's fake. But so, hey, just as Christopher Nolan intended it, we receive the first new look at Tenet on Fortnite. According to John David Washington, this is exactly what Christopher Nolan always envisioned. So did somebody from Epic here. Games like uh, interview Washington? I don't know who that guy was. So yes, uh, it was Maybe somebody on, from Warner Brothers. It was essentially, uh, this took place uh, hourly for I guess a day or so. Um, and it was on the uh, free play area in Fortnite, which is literally just a place for corporate things like this to happen. It's just like a little island with no weapons and there's like ATVs or whatever. Can you build? Uh, no. Oh, what the hell? No, people just cover the screen up. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I would do. <laughs> but you can, people were, the entire time I was trying to watch this trailer, there were people that were like shooting plungers at the screen. <laughs> like right on John David Washington's face. And that was That is cinema. Yeah, and then people would like walk up to you and they would like do dances like right in your face. But like it, they, all the dances were muted in the screening area. Really, truly, one of the better experiences of my life. Um, so why... Why do they keep doing this? I mean, the last, I know that Travis Scott played a performance there recently, but before that, Weezer unveiled a new song on this island. Weezer got its own island. Weezer got its own island. Permanently? Do these Zoomers give a fuck about Weezer and do they give a fuck about Tenet? No. I don't think that any person who's like 14 cares at all about christopher nolan. yeah they're like that's oh, our you mean, generation that cares about christopher you mean nolan. that really old movie inception it, Jen, look this is literally what i was saying after after watching this i i started realizing that like the experience of 
talking about inception on the internet is purely a millennial experience it is that is our generation's 9-11 is <laughs> but like in a positive way when when inception happened and it was the only thing that the whole inner and that would not shut the fuck up about and to uh almost the same extent uh dark knight which was yeah. earlier in, in like internet discourse history but generated a ton of content for the internet uh interstellar can't say the same thing dunkirk of course you couldn't say the same thing that is a much more dry uh war yeah. movie uh does Gen Z even know who Christopher Nolan is? I, I'm launching an investigation into this. I think uh, they're I've, huge I've fans some, of oh, the of prestige. <laughs> I I think they like following. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, these kids these days, that's all they're doing is following their friends on TikTok. <laughs> oh, that was you know. a very. I was gonna make a joke about uh, his version of insomnia because these kids are up all night just playing their freaking Fortnite. Oh, I mean, the, yeah, that, these are both. You know, Ernie, you can pick which whichever one of those. Just was cut better. out whichever one is worse. It's yeah. definitely Drew's, and then just keep mine in there. If you want to boost the vocals during that part, so really, we'll, like, we'll take it again uh, one more time. Uh, they're huge fans of the Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> all right, cut it and just replace that. You've got to listen to We Better no. Make Podcasts. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh. For you. No, here you go. I, every time I tell a joke, I'm going to jack up the reverb on my <laughs> mic, okay? So, yeah, just cut out the first part. And then, <laughs> uh, yeah, I bet, they, I bet they like Christopher Nolan's following because that's all they're doing these days on TikTok. Talk, 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 talk. They're, yeah. I don't even have monitoring on, but there, according to that knob, there's some heavy reverb on that one, and I, I, I think that it's going to make it better. You know so, how comedians during their jokes they just like jack up the effects. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the new thing, man. You got, you got to push the boundaries. I'm always saying this. So, okay, Tenet trailer on Fortnite. Is this an attempt? to stranglehold the masses into making the trek out to the movie theaters in July? So, are, we, are we being put in a position where it, we're going to have no choice if we want to see Tenet? So there is one fascinating thing about this because everybody else is moving their release date and Christopher Nolan is standing strongly, wants to be in there in July because he wants to be the movie that yeah. like opens back up movie theaters. He also has a massive like paycheck on the line. Yeah, uh, which maybe he was trying to make some money back money back from that by a big old check from Epic Games. But uh, <laughs> who knows? But there was one very key thing that was different in the new trailer. I have not watched the new trailer I'm going to see Tenet anyways. Didn't need to be sold on it. Wasn't going to log into Fortnite to watch it. Um, so uh, You're lost, dude. I, I know. I missed out on Epic Plunger on the Christopher Nolan heads. They were most – people were – during the Q&A, they were mostly shooting the random white guy who was interviewing Chante for Because <laughs> it, it was just so clearly – and they were trying to make it look like it was, like, live interview right after the, you know, the trailer. And it was so clearly cut. Yeah. Uh, really just good stuff. Like I learned a lot about the process. Does but, Robert Pattinson definitely plays Fortnite, right? Like he schools noobs on that's that all shit. he's doing right now is he's just like training to be Batman and playing Fortnite all yeah. day long. Um, no, but there was one key thing about the trailer, 
And all of the marketing has been saying like coming July twenty no July seventeenth coming July twenty seventh July seventeenth the old and, marketing, but on this new trailer it just says coming soon to theaters. Yeah, they have no, well not even soon. It just says coming to theaters, right? So that Which is, to me reads as a as like a threat. It's like whoa, buddy. <laughs> like okay, shit, calm down. You don't have to fucking yell. I really, I don't think that there's any way that he doesn't put this in theaters. That's his whole deal. Right. He's, he's one of these filmmakers. Like, would, would Tarantino have uh, signed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to Netflix? I don't think he would have. You know what I mean? And that's not to put them on the exact same plane, but they're both guys who are genuinely obsessed with film itself. You know? Yeah. And the thing that's dangerous is, like, setting that precedent, right? You know, because once, once one of these giant movies goes straight to streaming then it's like the dominoes all topple and they all go. So it's like, it's, it's like he is holding the fucking industry on his shoulders right now. And he's just like, I will not give. And it's like, to me, that's, that's really powerful. But then when you factor a pandemic into it and like people's health and safety, it's like, it doesn't have to come out this July. Just push it to next year. Well, that's now why it's, it's I think, fine. We'll I think that that's I think that's more that. of his thing because I don't think that he, I mean Nolan would never release a movie straight to streaming. I have no doubts about that. But I think that it is more telling that maybe the people at Warner Brothers are starting to think more and more about that July date as we now move within two months of that time. And they can try to, they can keep pushing it back like a week or two weeks at a time, or they could even push it into August. I know they can't just move it back every week and just be like, actually, it's coming out the 24th. Actually, now it's coming out July yeah. 31st, and then just keep pushing I'll it back like new that. mutants. But they can't quite do that. But, I mean, we talked about before that Zoomers don't care. You still have to, I know Christopher Nolan is like one of the few great original directors that we have right now. But you still have to advertise your movie to the masses. Yeah, like, you got to build that people hype. People like us know that Christopher Nolan has a new movie coming out. But a lot of other people, he puts a lot of his movies in summertime, usually like mid to late summer, because their family will go see like a Marvel movie or whatever else. And they get this big, huge trailer for this movie. And they're like, oh, man, it's the guy who made uh, Inception. Yeah, 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 I like that. He's got a new movie. Yeah, let's go see that. Let's go take the kids to that one. And. Yeah. If this movie isn't getting advertising because there's movie theaters aren't open and there's no live sports, which is where a lot of people just learn about new movies is because mm -hmm. they're watching football or they're watching a basketball game or something like that. And they get like a big old three and a half minute trailer for a movie, a big spotlight for it. But since they can't really do that, then... Uh, I don't. Yeah. I don't know what and the best. And this idea is, is precisely the the thing that we were talking about last time we had this uh, kind of quarantine uh, or like pandemic movie uh, scheduling conversation. Is that there has to be a timeline of ramping up the hype for all of these big releases, right? You can't just compress that and expect the movie to be as financially uh, successful because marketing is a huge part of making a movie financially successful. So if you compress that and you stack all of these big movies up against each other in a short amount of time, 
you're going to have a fucking slaughter. You know, it's it, it's just not feasible to expect that as soon as theaters reopen, people are just going to automatically go just because it's that's just not going to happen. Unless you live in Florida, because we are just like straight up open now. People are just out not wearing masks or anything, but probably a good thing. Um, movies don't open unless they can premiere in New York and L.A. And New York and L.A. are the two two of the most conservative states with reopening. Rightfully so, because they're like two of the biggest cities. Do you in the do you guys country. think do you guys think that there's a scenario where that where that it doesn't happen? Like, do you guys think that the studios and the theaters will come to some conclusion that involves rolling movies out in the opposite way where they usually are, where they'll start like in the middle of the country and then work their way to those New York and L.A.? Uh, no way in yeah. fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, I don't see that because I don't. I mean, shout out to our friend Brian, our loyal fan. But uh, there's not a ton of like huge uh, devoted cinephiles in like the Kansas, the Midwest areas uh, of the Rudd, world. John Hamm. Um, mm, yeah. Kansas. Okay. Okay. Can you name like three more? Um, uh, Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There we go. You, you um, dunce. I don't think she owned a TV. Matthew McConaughey. Um, but like that's just not where a lot of big movie people and specifically critics live. So I I just I don't see that happening at all, especially because they did say, I mean, Grant, this was about a month or two ago, but I know the AMC and the Regals, they wanted to do like a soft opening. They wanted to be able to put out like open up their theaters and just play older movies in the yeah. theater for like a, a couple of weeks to like get buzz, get people to come back in. If I was a studio, I wouldn't want to release a movie on week one. Right, exactly. That's the thing. It's too much. It's too much pressure, you know? And, and Tenet is already a movie that has enough pressure being, you know, not tied to a franchise, not a sequel, just a wholly original thing. There's already enough pressure on movies like that to do well, to keep that you know the creative side of filmmaking of big budget filmmaking alive so i i don't see tenant opening in july i i just don't think it's gonna happen Um, i i hope it opens this year but if it gets pushed to 2021 i feel like that might be for the best ultimately aside from all of the logistical and uh business and technicals of this situation uh the trailer uh got me excited i already knew it would uh i like when christopher nolan makes movies like this um which does lead to my only catch-up uh of the last week is i rewatched inception for a really really uh embarrassing like 74th time or something like that um just because i was visiting my family and like you know we were just on netflix and we just couldn't you know they just wouldn't say what they wanted to watch i was like you know what i'm just gonna put on inception and i'm going to look at my phone (laughs) and uh i i love inception it's like i don't know it's the discourse around it has completely drowned out the movie itself which is uh in itself a flawed movie not a perfect movie at all not even close uh, and it's also one of my favorite movies because it is, uh, at, at the very least, it is attempting mostly successfully to be a very cerebral 
sci-fi action movie. Um, and it, I, in my opinion, it succeeds on most parts. And there are plenty of unbelievably wooden lines of dialogue and character development within that. Uh, but also the visuals hold up remarkably well for oh, a yeah. movie that's about 10 years old. Uh, and so do, I guess, so do the themes. It's, it's almost hard to put yourself in the headspace of someone who doesn't know about the concept of Inception because of what the internet was like for all of high school. <laughs> you know, it was just all oh, within a blank. Oh, it's interception. You know, just it, it became just such a bastardized version of yeah. like what it actually is. Dashception uh, was just like a verb that everyone yeah. used all the time. And yeah, and it's absolutely fine to dislike this movie, but I'm uh, always going to like it because not every movie can be everything. Uh, and this movie is a lot of things really well and some things not so well. But the things that it does well, it does just about as good as any other movie. I think um, one of the best things about it, and this has been, you know, very heavily covered, but the the fact that it's like a allegory for filmmaking, I think holds up really well, you know. And how he, he makes, he casts Leonardo DiCaprio to play himself and dress just like him and have the same haircut as him. Yeah. <laughs> I think that shit is hilarious. I and, I, I love it. And uh, regardless of how, you know, you may call it like muscular filmmaking or whatever, but the choice to use uh, largely practical effects uh, mm -hmm. paid off in this case. It doesn't always. Sometimes artificial effects are the way to go. In this case, uh, the choice to make an almost scale uh, building that was actually in snowy mountains and then explode it paid off in dividends. So did the revolving hallway. Uh, and these are all things that have been covered so, so many times. There's also, you can find, I think, either the majority or the entirety of the uh, behind the scenes documentary for Inception on YouTube, if you just look it up. Um, and I think and it's, the, it's worth watching. It's very fun. The One of the biggest things too is for all the massive visual flair and and the heady ideas of like, multiple dreams within dreams you still care about the core like emotional character through line you, you know do. this relationship between leo and uh you want this man marion cotillard yeah you want him to get home and see his kids and that's why the end is so affecting it's not because of the fucking totem it's because he gets home and sees his children and the entire movie has been priming you in this pavlovian way like the dogs we are yeah to to look forward to that very moment um so it's it's effective in all the ways that nolan is effective and it's ineffective in all the ways that he's not uh effective and that's it, it's a big absolutely fine yeah because not every fucking film or director has to be every single thing you know there are rom-coms that i absolutely love to death that are unbelievably shallow or not technically good in hardly any way but yet they carry emotional weight and those hold just as much credence to me as this does you know it just scratches like different itches there are only certain movies that can scratch every itch we're talking about boogie nights this week that's a movie that scratched about every itch i could have for a film because that's one of the best movies i've ever seen in my life not every movie can be that you know what i mean yeah i so i was gonna say on that same note that i think i really need to revisit inception because it has been several years uh since i have seen it i think that inception 
has the best of Nolan and the worst of Nolan at the same time. It is very needlessly confusing. Sometimes uh, some of the side characters in a story are more interesting than the main characters themselves. Speaking specifically about Tom Hardy Inception is just absolutely incredible. It might be just my favorite Tom Hardy performance ever. Um, but I also do think that's very affecting. I do want to rewatch it, though, mostly because Inception is one of those movies that while I'm in the moment watching it, I just, I love it. I'm captivated. I am in. But then as soon as it ends, I'm just like thinking about every little thing. And I'm like, yeah. actually, this movie, does this make any sense at all? Like what I'm watching on the screen? But it doesn't really matter because that's kind of what Nolan's all about in a nutshell is like, how does, like what visceral reaction do you feel while watching this movie interstellar was a movie that i really loved the first time that i saw it and as soon as i thought about it and then saw it a second time it's not nearly as effective <sighs> i think inception is much more of an effective movie than interstellar yeah but they are kind of similar in my head in that way well and- i mean i mean nolan is the king of like over explaining right but and and he doesn't he there there's this like weirdness where there's times when like he doesn't tell you enough and then there's other times where like he tells you too much in in interstellar it's like you 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 gotta have a little bit more faith in your audience nolan to figure things out he needs a co-writer that's not his fucking brother and an inception worse than he is oh yeah dude with westworld yeah 100 (laughs) percent and in Inception, the explaining, it's, it is a lot, but I welcome it. You know, <laughs> it's like the same type of exposition that happens in The Matrix, where Morpheus like just has this long, long explanation about everything that The Matrix is and what it means. And it's done in a way that I'm like, yes, give it to me, tell me everything. And in Inception, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, yes, it is a lot, but I kind of need it and I kind of want it. In Interstellar, it's like, I cut, I could have figured it out myself, man. You, you got, give me a little no, bit this of is, room. This is a really interesting point um, because exposition is another thing that generally like is almost viewed as an inherent negative when it is a requisite part of every single narrative film in existence. Yeah. Otherwise they, you get lost and you're not engaged. Yeah. Uh, and so there is a, a good way to overuse exposition. If you're making something that is so like, if have you ever read a sci-fi book? They're all just exposition. Yeah. <laughs> like that, you know, the genre lends itself toward having to explain itself because it is making things up out of nothing. But like that, it, it's kind of silly to imagine. Uh, like people have pulled it off with minimal exposition, but that's really hard. Kubrick was uh, really good, and that's why he could do that, you know. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. It, it just it's it's funny to rewatch and just uh, you know without thinking about the discourse because it scratches certain niches and it doesn't scratch others. And uh, this new movie, um, Tenet, looks to me to be extremely similar to Inception. In fact, you can almost clown it for looking a little too similar because it is about inversion. That is the big, uh, heady concept oh. that this film is going to be about. I don't want to spoil too much if you guys didn't see the trailer. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to see the trailer. That is, that is the big word of this movie, and that is the big 
a visual concept that the entire thing is going to be centered around the the like backwards moving yeah exactly cool i mean i'm excited man i'm as much as I I criticize the guy, I think Nolan is one of the best filmmakers working right he's, now. He's kind of easy to criticize because his it's like if you're creating a character and certain things you just max the shit out of. And there's so many things at a 10 that when something is at like a five or a yeah. four, you're like, brother, like, you know how to do good stuff. Like, just make this one part of your movies better. Mm-hmm. But, and the other you know, thing is like, I think he's, he's like a big fucking nerd. And he likes to pretend like he's not, like he's the, like this classy British bloke. And it's just like, no, dude, come on, em- embrace it. You're a fucking nerd. Everybody knows it. We all know it. Just chill the fuck out, okay? Um. Anyway, let's get to some more ketchup here. I have a couple things. Uh, real quick, I'll run through them. First, I watched this cool new behind-the-scenes uh, of the Mandalorian on Disney Plus called Disney Gallery. Um, it's cool because uh, besides The Simpsons, I don't really have anything else to watch on Disney Plus. And I feel like, you know, what What do I... I'm not going to watch Ant-Man. You know, what? What? I'm not going to watch Frozen 2. Like, what watch the hell am I doing? Disney Cinema. Watch, like, Robin Hood and stuff like that. Okay. That's yes. a good idea. That's, or that's or like or like Renaissance era Disney, like Mulan and Aladdin. Yeah, yeah I could do Even that. Mulan's pretty late in the game. Even like 90s, I think the 70s through the 90s is the best for Disney animation. So these these uh Disney gallery uh behind the scenes, uh they're releasing them once a week. There's four of them out right now. Um you know, I've talked about behind the scenes stuff on this on this podcast before, and I've talked about how like all of the old behind the scenes making ups from like the eighties and the nineties are all incredible because they feel so raw and they feel like, holy shit, people are being so brutally honest about the making of this movie. You know, when I brought up the making of the abyss Ed Harris talking about how he almost fucking died and how he, you know, is so jaded and and kind of like uh, traumatized by making this movie. Uh, and there's countless other examples of of people capturing like the the tribulations of making movies. Mm-hmm. And with this, it's so polished. Like everybody's being super nice and overly, uh, n- you know, nice and shit. It's it's not the the real rawness that you would want from um from a making of documentary. But there are certain moments of like just gems like there's some fucking gems in here there's one moment where dave filoni who is one of the co-creators of this show who worked on the clone wars and on avatar the last airbender which i'm going to get to in a bit he shows how well he understands star wars and you you having this guy talking about it it's like they should have him be the person like overseeing Star Wars. They need to give him more to do. John Favreau is great. I think he did a great job with The Mandalorian. I hope that J.J. Abrams stays away from Star Wars. I, I hope he never touches it again. He did a great job rebooting it, but this Dave Filoni guy, he is so smart and he understands what makes Star Wars great. And he's not a fucking weirdo like George Lucas. And he can actually like, create 
very, very strong storytelling. That's, that's in interesting world. because I'm looking up pictures of him and he certainly looks like a weirdo. I mean, yeah, of, of course he's a weirdo, but compared to George Lucas. No, I know, I know what you mean. But George Lucas is, is like insufferable. This guy looks like like a 45-year-old incel, but he always is wearing a cowboy hat. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it it could come off as like, as insufferable but he he has he makes it work in a way that is it's very pleasing oh, he's but, a dork so yeah he's definitely a dork so the four episodes um each one focuses on a different aspect of of the making of the mandalorian the first one is all about directing so they interview all the directors including taika waititi and um you know everybody else who worked on the show it's cool because it wasn't it wasn't a um an experience where they were just hand off the 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 episode to each director they all kind of work together um kind of like a writer's room sort of deal but like a director's room uh and of course each director was in charge of their own specific episodes but it was like a more collaborative experience the second episode is about the legacy and carrying on like the legacy of george lucas and star wars and the original trilogy and the and the prequels the third one is about the cast, um, focusing on on Pedro Pascal and um, uh, what's his name, uh, Carl Weathers. Um, and then the fourth episode, the latest one, is my favorite. And the reason why I even brought this up and why I think people should definitely check this out if they have Disney Plus, it's about the technology of this show. Fucking mind blowing shit. The technology that they developed for this show is unbelievable. They have these massive LED screens that completely wrap around full 360. They're essentially in like a big room that's all screens. Even the ceiling is all LED screens and they can project an entire live rendered environment that moves and shifts around on these screens so that it eliminates the need for green screen. So all the actors are fully immersed in this world immediately without having to imagine it and, and stare at a fucking green screen thinking that there's going to be something there that's going to be captivating. It's like, no, boom, it's there. It's, it's, you're transported. And I know that you know, going back to my point earlier about all this being overly polished, I know that this is all very Disney-fied, and I'm sure that there's probably a lot of technical issues that they faced with this technology that they don't want to include in this behind the scenes. But it's just very impressive, and it makes me really curious and hopeful about what other people are going to be able to do with the same technology. Um, as long as Disney doesn't you know, stranglehold it and make it 100% proprietary. I hope that they can, you know, have other people produce all kinds of other cool stuff with it. It is really, really cool and impressive. I definitely want to check that out now because, I mean, everything about The Mandalorian and the way that it's put together was just so impressive, especially with just the production design of it all was absolutely unbelievable yeah. like it felt so real i mean you mentioned the director's room that they pretty much had uh maybe uh, kathleen candy will kind of take that type of a note into consideration to future star wars films so that we have movies that 
you know, make sense with each other. Um, That isn't having like one director go back and like try and clean up the mess of the previous director, stuff like that, which maybe it'll get better in the future. But I I don't know. I mean, I am curious to definitely want to check that out now. Yeah. And season two drops later this year. They're still producing it even with the pandemic, you know, partly because of this technology where they don't even need to build any sets. Oh, that, that was the other thing is like, I, I, I feel like if you're trying to make filmmaking more environmentally conscious, this is the way to do it, where you're not building these huge sets and tearing them down. Obviously, I love the artistry of that, the practicality of that, but it's not very sustainable. So this creates a much more uh, environmentally conscious way of creating your films without having to like, again, stare at a green screen. Um, It's just, it's very exciting. Um, Next thing is Avatar The Last Airbender, which just got put on Netflix, the whole thing, three seasons. Um, It is actually like, it shot up to number one on Netflix. I don't think it's at number one anymore. It might be like two or three, but it's crazy. Like a 15 year old children's Nickelodeon cartoon is the most watched show on Netflix. And I, I, I dove in and it, initially I was just like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check this out. I, I've always wanted to see this. I'll, I'll have it be like my, my passing show that I touch on every once in a while when I'm like, you know, having a cup of coffee or like lunch or something. And I am so sucked into this show, guys. Like it is, the practically the only thing I'm watching right now. Like I haven't, I, everything else I was watching is like on pause because this show fully has my attention and Lee's as well. Like she's watching it with me too. And every episode we're looking at each other, like how the fuck is this show? So incredible. It is unbelievably good. I just finished season one last night. And I'm about to start season two. And it's just like absolutely mind-blowing shit every single episode. I, I, I had caught episodes here and there when I was a kid. Um, but I had never seen through the whole show before. And now as an adult, I'm like, this is kind of one of the best shows ever made, hands down. Like, this is incredible television. It's such an amazing story about friendship and about war and about like the, the moral grayness of war and really deep and complex themes uh, for in a kid's show, you know, like we need to have more kid shows that present these deep and complex ideas like this show does. Uh, not only that, but it's also super visually striking and it's um, really entertaining, fun, great time. Uh, I love it. I love it. And I'm going to power through the rest of it and maybe watch it again because it's that good. Yeah, I uh, I had a similar experience with Avatar. Like I never, I watched all of book one and I really enjoyed it. But also I was like 11 or so whenever the first season came out. So like, 
I just kind of watched it. I was like, I love that. And now it's gone forever. And that's fine. And I just, it was hard to find. It it wasn't very easily accessible. Um, But I also started back through, I'm about halfway through book one. Um, I can't wait to get through it because everybody who's seen the show is just like, oh yeah, book one is like easily the worst season of the show. And I'm watching back through it like, oh wow, this is, this is great. Like this is very compelling television. Like if this is, as bad as it gets like my god i i'm excited to get through it now it's kind of inspired me that i want to seek out legend of korra if i can find that after i'm done with avatar because i've heard that legend of korra is just as good as the show i think this is worthy of uh tv pantheon uh once uh once i get through it because um it's it's just unbelievably good guys like i i can't i I'm struggling to express like how incredible it is. You know, it's, it's, it's hitting me in a way that is making me at a loss for words because I, I don't see enough shows that can do so much in so little time. Um, and, and still have it be like kid friendly and you know, complex and deep enough for an adult to latch onto. You know, it's it's so rare, so rare to see a show be able to do that. Um, so if you haven't seen it, cannot recommend it enough. Avatar The Last Airbender, it's on Netflix right now. Uh, they are trying to build hype for a live action remake. So following the disaster <laughs> of uh, M. Night Shyamalan's go at it from about 10 years ago, Netflix is going to try again. So I know Drew is not going to watch Avatar The Last Airbender, but... Um, Why? Why do you know this? You don't know anything about me. Have you ever watched, like, an anime of any type in your entire life? Um, Not a television show. I like... Okay. Uh, well, this is the one. Um, this is... Yeah. If you're going to watch one, this is... It's I'd say, I'd say Neon, Neon Genesis Evangelion. It's only 23 episodes, but that's just me. Who knows? Um, but... I mean, I do think that uh, after we both finish watching this show, we should do a uh, watch through of the the masterpiece that is in Night Shyamalan's live oh, action. Oh God! <laughs> I've I'll heard just, that. I'll skip straight to that. I've heard that it might be <laughs> like one of the worst movies ever made, and I've always wanted to see it. And then I like didn't want to see it because I was like, maybe it'll give away some plot point in this show that eventually one day I'll go back and revisit. So maybe that's a future commentary track for us down the road. Woof. I I don't know about that. I'll have to I'll have to get very uh hopped up on the soylent for that one. You're acting like that is like hard to make happen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I might have to get drunk. <laughs> Oh, no. No. How are we going to do it? All right, Hunter. Let's uh, close it out with what you got on the catch-up. Well, you know, I have been uh, the last uh, last week and then a few weeks prior to that singing the praises of The Last Dance uh, to fill the sports size hole in my heart um, since, of course, sports aren't happening right now. Although I will say I did watch – 
uh, Bundesliga match today with uh, against uh, Dortmund against Bayern Munich with the pumped in crowd noise and everything. Let me tell you what's uh, stupid is pumped in crowd noise. And then eventually the camera pans out and you see there's a stadium that's completely empty. So this is like stock crowd. Yeah. It's just like stock crowd <laughs> noise that they filter into something. It makes more sense for soccer. And yeah. I was going like to say football then because there would just be a lot of silence and basketball. I hope that they do not pump in crowd noise. No, you can only really do it in soccer, I think, because there's just a general murmur and there's like chanting throughout, like no matter yeah. what's happening. Yeah, uh, I mean, they did do like the team's chants and songs and stuff like that throughout it because it was in Dortmund. So the crowd like um, Bayern Munich scored a goal and they were like, oh, <laughs> just like weird because it, it like has like the lower shot where you can see the crowd just completely empty and you just hear them like booing um that's dark but hey so i needed something else uh something of an american sort to fill the sports size hole in my heart and i am a big fan of documentaries of course and especially sports documentaries but i had never seen uh arguably some people are saying would say that is the best sports documentary of all time and that's when we were kings um it is the story of the 1974 fight uh, between Muhammad Ali and George Foreman, the rumble nice. in the jungle. Um, but what really sets this film apart is kind of the table setting of all this. Of, of course, boxing is the biggest thing in the world at that time. Like that is the number one sport in the world is boxing. And for the first time ever, they decided to take these two African-American boxers and have them fight in Africa, in the country of Zaire. Um, so it does a lot of kind of bring this all in. And they try and turn into a whole festival full of like, for like Black Pride and everything. Like James Brown performs there. B.B. King does a performance that you see like little bits of at this whole festival that they have. Um, and I, of course, I mean, this was well before any of us were born. I know Muhammad Ali. I know like he is one of the most iconic names. It's like him, Michael Jordan are the two biggest athletes of all time. Um, and I, guys, this really is up there, at least for a documentary that's just 90 minutes in and out. This might be like the best sports documentary ever made. Like it, because it goes into not only the fight itself and filming it as dramatically as possible, like really cinematic. But there's a point uh, in the story. I mean, I guess I minor spoilers for real life here for an event that took place 50 years ago. But George Foreman gets a cut on his eye, and so the fight gets delayed for six weeks while he has he gets stitches in his eye and he has to wait for that to clear up. So during that time, it has Muhammad Ali just kind of going around to different towns, like to people in Africa and trying to get in touch with like his own heritage and everything. They talk a lot about how like black people in America are basically trained to be like white people and they don't actually know anything about their own heritage. And it is just a really, really harrowing story. And like how Weirdly enough, Muhammad Ali, despite the fact that they're both from America, Muhammad Ali became like the boxer for Africa. Like uh, 
there's a point like all the people uh, from the people of Zaire are like chanting like Ali, Bumaye, Ali, Bumaye, which means like Ali, kill him. Like oh. everybody there was on his side, just like, Whoa. you're all on your side to do this. And I mean, when the fight ends, literally as soon as the fight ends, as soon as the knockout happens, it just starts like this biblical rainfall. Like, it is literally like a sports movie, like fiction, watching this movie. And there's so many aspects of it that just work so well. Um, the director of this film, uh, Leon Gast, it took him 20 years to make this movie, to actually get all of the different clips together and edited. Uh, some of the talking heads include Spike Lee is in this film. Um, so many people that just kind of talk about their relationship to either the boxers, people who were like writing at the time, or just people talking about the black experience during the 1970s and what that was like. Did they get um, uh, Will Smith? Jesus. 1970s, 70s. Uh, that's a bit before Willie's time. Big old oh. Willie. Um, oh yeah, because the movie, the movie was 2001. Ernie only knows one black person. I this movie did. Um, it's from a uh, 1996. Um, when we were kings, uh, but it's no. I mean the 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 Will Smith movie. Yeah, where he played Muhammad Ali. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. That Will Smith is not in this film. Um, it did win the Oscar for best documentary uh, back in the day. It is actually on the Criterion channel. So I would normally oh, do a... nice. <laughs> oh, God, are you choking? What the it's, hell? Um, unfortunately, it's not on the Criterion channel right now. So I did have to do a, a seven-day free trial of Cinemax, um, which uh, I hope you know I did immediately cancel right after watching this. But it's worth, if you have never used a trial for Cinemax, or I guess give Cinemax money, I know they have other stuff. I think The Mask is on there. Um, so if you want to watch The Mask, feel free to keep that Cinemax subscription going. Otherwise, definitely seek out When We Were Kings because it is, if you're a fan, I don't even think you need to be a fan of boxing or sports documentaries necessarily, because I think that it does transcend those genres. Beautiful. Love it. Um, my, uh, the next piece, the last piece that we will be talking about today is something that does not transcend a genre. Um, it's a little movie called Scoob. Finally. Um, the main event of the episode. So I am I am alone now in my house, so I can speak openly and freely about Scoob. Um, we did a whole Scooby Doo episode. Wait, on so this Gaia, show. Gaia liked it then? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so we did a whole Scooby Doo episode on this podcast. So. You know, we and the Wee Bottom Mike family are big fans of the Scooby-Doo universe. Um, this movie gets, like, almost everything wrong about the whole identity of Scooby-Doo. Oh, no. Um, I'm going to get into minor spoilers here because I am kind of angry about this. It's, it's, actually, uh, it's actually Scooby-Doo's monster. <laughs> I, I long for the days of 
uh, crook, uh, just a guy who was wronged or somebody who was there for an insurance claim, dressing up like an ice man, and then they just take off his mask. Um, instead, what we have here is uh, Scoob is actually a vehicle, uh, more than a movie, to set up the Hanna-Barbera uh, extended universe. Of films. Oh, man. So... You might say what that means. I hate that. Uh, you know, the classic Hanna-Barbera films that we grew up with, the uh, the uh, crazy races and uh, all that fun stuff. This is a movie that's supposed to establish that as a universe they're going to keep making movies in. So we have the introduction of superheroes to this world, uh, which I was immediately, as soon as I saw it, a guy named Blue Falcon, who is voiced by Mark Wahlberg, um, by now, you might have already listened to our uh, our uh, um, Boogie Nights review to know that uh, Mark Wahlberg isn't just a great actor normally, um, and he definitely doesn't have a great voice for any kind of voice work, but he is just really, really bad in this movie. The main villain is... Um, uh, I'm trying to pull up what the character is from. It's a uh, uh, Dick Dastardly, who's from the, <laughs> you know the uh, what was the show called? Uh, I'm pretty sure that's Wahlberg's character in Boogie Nights. That's <laughs> <laughs> close. Um, uh, wacky races. I ca- I called it crazy races. I meant wacky races. Whatever. Um, Dick Dastardly is the main big bad. Uh, another thing about this movie that they get completely wrong about Scooby-Doo is they separate the gang almost immediately. Um, very early on in the film, Simon Cowell shows up. Yes, Simon Cowell shows up as Simon Cowell and says, I want to give you guys money so you guys can start like the mystery uh, just start a whole business where you're just investigating people, but you gotta lose Shaggy and Scooby. So they are just Studio apart notes. the entire movie, um, which sucks because the whole thing is about how this gang interacts with each other. Uh, Will Forte is like actively pretty bad in this movie as Shaggy. And believe me, we love Will Forte on this podcast. Big fans of Last Man on Earth, big fans of all of his SNL stuff. Listen, I was saying this way back when when it was announced he is not an impressionist in fact he tells stories about being very famous for not doing good impressions at snl he doesn't do an impression he just does will forte like you're just listening to will forte like it doesn't make any sense why they didn't just reach out to matthew lillard to at least come back because i feel like that would have made the movie 10 percent better it would not have fixed most of the problems with this movie um but it would have made at least a little bit better i think that the first like 10 minutes or so of this movie is actually really good and actually got me really excited because it I've, all- I've heard that from multiple sources that it starts off so strong. It starts off great. It starts off with Shaggy just kind of being this loner dude, this kid with like no friends and he just meets this stray dog and they just like go around and like they just really love each other. He gives him the collar and everything. It's actually like a really emotional moment that you do feel and then he meets the other members of the gang, Fred, Daphne, and Velma, uh, at like a Halloween trick-or-treating thing. And they go into a haunted house and they crack their first case. And at first I was like, yes. I actually think that this might be pretty good. And then since that point, it just has a downward trajectory that involves them like going into other 
pretty much like other dimensions. They go into like the world of death and everything else. And I just, I think Scooby-Doo should be simple. There is no reason to introduce superheroes and all these big quantum mechanic things into Scooby-Doo. The whole identity of Scooby-Doo is it's this gang. Each of them have their own little quirk and together they figure out that it was actually just this person with their ulterior motives and there are no such thing as monsters. That's what Scooby-Doo is all about. This movie just gets that completely wrong. That's Um, very depressing. I didn't, I, I, I will say, I think that maybe I'm too harsh on it because we like grew up with good Scooby-Doo. Um, maybe the kids love so it. So I might have been a little bit harsh on it. I feel like if I was a child, I might've liked some stuff for it. But the weird thing about this movie is that the jokes are pretty much all written for adults and none of them land. There's jokes about like not paying for your own Netflix account and it just uh, some of the wordplay things. There's a point where um, Scooby is like talking to Dick Dastardly, and he's just like Dick, and Scooby's like, Rrr! and he's like, no, Dick, 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 and they start chanting Dick, <laughs> and it's like a weird. There's so many little moments like that where you're like, is this is this for kids or is this supposed to be for adults? But it's not really for adults. Like they tried to cater to both sides, and it ends up not really serving anyone in my opinion. Well, I guess that's a, a strong recommend from Hunter, from Scooby. Yeah, I'm going to so, have to hear, I got to hear Gaia's side of this. <laughs> did you tell her how you feel? Does she know how you feel, Hunter? She knows that I didn't like it. Okay. She does know. She was upset by it. Mostly because uh, she was saying that I don't need to be critical about this because this is a movie a kid's made movie. like seven year olds. Well, then maybe uh, maybe right. you shouldn't have watched it. <laughs> maybe she's right, but I can only bite my tongue for so long. And How much did you have to here, pay? I can do the I can do the giant disclaimer and says and say um, it has a good message. But guess what? So does every other goddamn kids movie ever made. So Hunter, how much did you have to pay? Uh, we did not pay for it. Thank God. Okay, we, good. Her parents rented it, and we logged into their accounts. There you go. That's what you got to do, listeners. You gotta, you gotta bootleg your way to Scoob. Um, not in theaters now. Available on video on demand. So, and so, what do we think is gonna win Best Picture between right now? It looks like Trolls World Tour, Doolittle, and Scoob are just all vying for that top spot. You know, on a on a serious note, one that I still want to check out that's on my watch list is that the sad Ben Affleck base uh, basketball coach movie. Oh, yeah, 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 I really want to see that. Um, yeah, I I've it's heard, actually now out on Blu-ray, so I might just splurge and get it on. Blu-ray I've heard he's it. like genuinely great in it. So you know, depending on what they decide to do with the Oscars, that might be one of the ones that has a good chance. So. He's, we'll I mean, see. Ben Affleck is really, really great when he's sober, and he's usually not sober. Well, that's but what now the movie is. is about. It's about his struggle. And he's dating a woman who's like 40 years younger than him. So, <laughs> well, that's, what, that's the only reason that uh, Leo is a good actor. So maybe, uh. you know, <laughs> it'll rub off, you know. So or do we think in that case that, uh, that uh, JD from Scrubs is going to have a comeback now that he's dating Florence Pugh? I somehow, no, somehow Florence <laughs> is just sucking all of the, I, I don't even think that Zach Braff was ever that talented. Why, why? 
She conveniently keeps him out of frame during all of her Instagram cooking uh, live streams. No, he's nowhere to be seen. He's not even off camera. I, he's not even holding the camera. It's like he's he he wants to make it known, like, all right, honey, you get your space, you get to play with your toys, and I'll be over like, here with uh, grown up stuff. Yeah, he I has a similar a relationship. Uh, I feel like him and uh, Florence Pugh have a similar relationship as Mark Wahlberg and Julianne Moore do in the movie Boogie Nights. Oh, sure. <laughs> I was thinking it's. It reminds me a lot of probably Dax Shepard and Chris, Kristen Bell. Where in every interview she's like, "He is the most talented cerebral man I know. He grinds away at that typewriter, and when when he comes out, he has an El Camino Christmas starring Tim Allen." Oh man, he's probably he probably <laughs> just like shuts the door and like plays like typewriter stock sound effects, and he's just yeah. like jerking off the whole time. Uh, all right. Well, I all think right. that Man, we were doing so good. Why didn't I end on when we were kings? One of the best sports talks ever. Inside, just just leave us in a bad note. Uh, Whatever. That's quarantine for you. That's yeah. That's the way it it, it it is. That's the way the scoob crumbles. Um, please check out our um, boogie nights review if you haven't already, and stick around for next week. Another great episode coming at you. And two weeks from now, the plan is to do a big Spike Lee dive in to commemorate the release of his new movie, The Five Bloods, on Netflix. Um, so it'll be two weeks from now. But in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at We Bought a Mic and uh, subscribe, rate, review if you enjoyed it, recommend it to your friends. Send us an email, we bought a mic at gmail.com, and maybe a voicemail or a donation through anchor.fm um, with your thoughts on everything that we talked about or any other things that you may want to bring up. If you just want somebody to talk to, we're here. We're here for you. We care about you. You know, that's why we do this. Um, so stick around and thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.